1976, Johnny Cash released a humorous song entitled One Piece at a Time. And the song was based on a GM factory line worker in Detroit who just loved the Cadillac and so much that he decided that he was going to steal parts every single day of his life in his lunchbox. And uh, by the time he retired, he would have enough parts to assemble uh, a Cadillac, uh, a beautiful Cadillac of his own. And uh, in the song, it says, Now I never considered myself a thief. GM wouldn't miss just one little piece, especially if I strung it out over several years. And of course, the bragging point of the song is I got it one piece at a time and it didn't cost me a dime. Now, while humorous, and it is a humorous song, the message of the song essentially is this. It's okay to steal from your employer as long as you can justify your actions. That's basically the theme of the song, as humorous as it is. In the early 1990s, I used this song as an illustration uh, when teaching a seminar to college students entitled Honesty and Integrity in the Workplace. Integrity is very important. Integrity is very important. The word integrity comes from the same Latin root word as the mathematical term integer. Now, not that I'm going to teach a math lesson because, you know, people who study theology aren't always the strongest in math, but the, the term integer means uh, a, a number that's whole. It's not a fraction. It's a, it's a whole number. And so it comes from the same root. So integrity means whole, with, without compromise, consistency in one's character. That's integrity. And so today, uh, for a few moments, and I know you're already looking at the clock about how late it is, but we're going to get you out of here right on time. Uh, and, uh, you know, today we're going to consider the topic integrity in adversity. How does one stay true to the principles and values in their life when they're faced with adversity. And I believe we can learn a great deal about this topic from these three uh, Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we heard read about this morning in Daniel chapter 3. These three men, young men faced persecution and they faced death because they refused to compromise their principles and their values. And so what I hope we'll see this morning is this. In a culture that is foreign to the principles and values of God's kingdom, we are called to remain faithful to God by living lives of integrity, even in times of adversity. Jennifer, thank you for reading this morning. It was a really long reading, and uh, thank you. You did a great job with that. And so if you have your Bible, you can follow along. I'd encourage you to do that. This morning. The first thing I want us to see here is pressure. The book of Daniel opens with an explanation of what's happening in Judah around 606 BC. The Babylonian army, under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, had conquered Judah and had taken a group of young men into captivity. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego are specifically identified, are specifically named in the book of Daniel, that they were of these young men and they're living in Babylon. They were seen as the elite, the chosen out of all of Israel to train and serve 
in the king's court. Now, there was a specific criteria to be chosen. It did, you know, you had to be young. You had to be without physical defect. You had to be handsome. You had to be intelligent. You had to be well-informed, and you had to be a quick learner. And so if you met those criteria, then you would be selected to serve in the king's court. In addition to their natural attributes, having met all of those criteria, we're told that God gave them knowledge and understanding of literature and learning on top of all of that. And to Daniel, he gave the ability to interpret visions and dreams. And so as a result, Scripture tells us that they were 10 times better than the king's best. Now in Daniel chapter 3, the king made a statue 90 feet tall, covered with gold, and he set it up on the plain and then summoned all of those who were in leadership to gather on the plain to, for the official dedication. And of course, we're, Daniel, for whatever reason, is not present, but the other three, <coughs> excuse me, were told that they were. And so all of these leaders, and because these young men were a part of the leadership, they are all gathered there and they're told that when you hear the music, that you are to fall down and to worship the idol and uh, with everyone else. And they're also told that if anyone refused to worship the idol, it would be seen as disloyalty to the king and consequently would be thrown into a fiery furnace to die. It was common during Babylonian rule to do executions by burning. There's a great pressure on these three Hebrew young men they were raised by their families for generations and in their own generation to worship God and God alone, the God of Israel. That was it. And, if, and so that if they refuse to, to worship this God, then they're going to be killed. And so they're trapped and they're stuck between worshiping the God that they want to worship and being forced to worship an idol they don't want to worship with the outcome being if they refuse they're going to die. They're pressured to compromise their principles, to compromise their values, to compromise their commitment to God. Secondly, we see resistance. The music played, and all of the king's leadership bowed down to worship, and they're worshiping the idol just as they were instructed, with the exception of these three Hebrews. We're told that the king's astrologers observed what was happened and came forward to inform the king. There's always one of these, isn't there? In every room. I mean, a hundred years ago when I was in kindergarten, back in the days when every day started with the Lord's Prayer, like you know how far we're going back now, I remember once we had one of those in our class, probably an only child. You know, they got to get all the rules right. Oh, sorry, I'm married to an only child. But and so we said the Lord's Prayer, and as soon as the Lord's Prayer was over, her hand shot up and she said, Miss Shannon had his eyes open during the Lord's Prayer. There's always one. And the teacher said, well, the only way you would know that is if your eyes were open. And so put Miss Smarty Pants in her place for a brief moment. There's always one. Well, there's a few here, and they run to the king to tattle. And the king became very angry because, yes, his commands weren't obeyed, but this is embarrassment. This is public embarrassment in front of all of his leaders. You have leaders who are rebelling against what he's asking. 
And so immediately he summoned the three Hebrews to come forward and he threatened them with death. And I love their response to the king. He says, we don't have any need to defend ourselves. There's no need to defend. We're, we're not going to worship your idol. It doesn't, we don't have to debate this with you. We don't have to discuss this with you. We're just not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And if you throw us into the fire, which is what you're threatening to do, we know that the God we serve can and will rescue us. But I love this next part. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, even if we are incinerated in seconds, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to do it. Regardless of how God chooses to respond to the situation, they have decided that they're not going to compromise the values and principles that are a part of their faith in serving their God. They would rather die than compromise their principles and their values by worshiping a God other than the God of Israel. And so in the midst of the adversity, they are unwilling to compromise their integrity. And the king became even more angry, and he ordered that the execution furnace, the dial be turned up and be heated seven times the normal temperature. Thirdly, we see deliverance. The three were tied up. I want you to notice in the text the great amount of detail that's provided in the text regarding what they were wearing. They were wearing robes and trousers and turbans and other clothes. I mean, I can't imagine what other clothes there is other than pants, robes, and turbans, but they're even wearing other clothes. And the intention of these details is not so we can get a snapshot of the fashion as they're walking the Green Mile to their execution. The purpose of such attention to detail is to show that they're going into a furnace that's seven times hotter than usual and they're basically walking human torches with the clothing that they're wearing. The moment they get to the fire, they are just going to to burn. And so the detail is there that this is, this is not going in a good direction. The furnace, in fact, is so hot that the guards who are taking them to the furnace die in the process of throwing them in. And so, again, this is looking like it's not going to be a good turnout. Until suddenly the king jumps to his feet and he can't believe what he's seeing. Was he seeing right Is this possible? Is this true? He says, didn't we throw three men in the fire? I see four in there. And the fourth one, well, he looks different than the other three. The fourth one looks like a son of the gods. Is it an angel? Is it an appearance of Jesus in the form of a theophany in the Old Testament? We don't know who the fourth character is in the fire. But what we do know is something divine is happening here and God is at work. And whoever that is, is a messenger 
and proclaims the presence of God with those three young men in that fire. God is with them in the fire. And not only does he see four instead of three, I love this. (laughs) They were bound. They're just walking around, taking in the sights inside the fire. And so we're told the king went as close to the furnace as he could get and said, I want you guys to come out. And the Hebrew men, young men, emerged. Their bodies are unharmed. Not one hair is singed. Turban still in place. Clothes are not scorched. We're told there isn't as much as the smell of smoke on them. Let me tell you something. You can't even stop at a stoplight anymore and idle your vehicle while you're waiting for it to change. If the person in the next car is smoking, your car fills with the smell of smoke. There's not even the smell of smoke on them, and they've been in the middle of this fire because God had protected them. God had delivered them. And the king is so overwhelmed that he gave them a promotion. And he makes a declaration and praises the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and makes a declaration that nobody can put down that name, that God's name is to be honored. It's a great story about integrity in the midst of adversity. So what are some things that we can take from this this morning as we prepare to leave this place on the middle long weekend of summer? What can we take with us? First, gifting. Despite what you might think about yourself or what others may observe and think about you, God has uniquely gifted you. God has uniquely gifted each and every one of us that are here in this room today. We are all uniquely created by God. And so because of that, in the ways that God has gifted us, in the ways that God has created us, we have a great deal to offer. Now perhaps like me, you wouldn't have met the criteria of King Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, I would have lost it on the first point. Probably would have made it up on the intelligence and the handsomeness, but at the first one, you got to be young. I mean, I was, I, I, it was over before it even started, right? I mean, like me, you probably wouldn't have, you know, you're not that person necessarily. Maybe you are, and good for you. We're really happy for you, but we kind of resent you a little bit. But we are happy for you that you have that perfect altogether life and, and people look at you and go, you have everything that we ever needed and you're just wonderful and you just meet all the criteria. Most of us don't live our lives that way. We just don't. We wouldn't have met King Nebuchadnezzar's criteria most likely. We all have limitations. But my observation is this. God usually uses people who are obviously flawed to accomplish his purposes. Like, time and time again, when I read the Bible, I say, yeah, God, I wouldn't have picked him, or I wouldn't have picked her, but God chooses those who are obviously flawed 
because he has gifted them in ways and desires to use them and to be glorified through their lives. And that's good news for most of us who are not perfect. The truth of the matter is this. If you're willing to honor God by giving him the best of what he has created you to be, he will give you opportunities and abilities beyond your limitations. I mean, we believe that the Holy Spirit does that, don't we? We don't carry out responsibilities in this life. We don't do the work of the kingdom of God solely based on our giftings and our experiences and our training, but we believe that the Holy Spirit comes and anoints our lives and empowers us to do above and beyond all of our training, all of our experiences, you know, all of our ability, not pushing that aside, but using it to a level that we could never accomplish on our own. And so that's good news this morning because God will take us to environments and give us opportunities to excel beyond our abilities if we're willing to trust him and be led by him. Now the caution in that is this. When God does that in our lives, we have to be careful that we don't think, you know, well, you know, I did it my way. Look at what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. We need to stay grounded in who it was that brought us here and did this. But God will take us places. We never dreamed to do things we never thought we could through the power of his spirit if we're willing to give ourselves to him. Secondly, integrity. Oops, my notes say something different. So I'm going to go with what this says. The Hebrew young men were faced with great pressure to compromise. This should be compromise. Pretend that's compromise. I hope you don't compromise your integrity to do that, but see what I did there? Yeah, sorry. The Hebrew young men were faced with great pressure to compromise to the point of the threat on their lives. Now, they didn't justify compromising their principles and values. They didn't say, well, you know what? I'm going to physically bow, but I'm not bowing in my heart. They can see on the outside, but they can't see on the inside. They didn't say it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. I'll just do this, and then I'll just get God to forgive me, and it's all going to be good. They didn't say I'm going to keep my fingers crossed while I bow down, and it won't count. They didn't sit back and have a discussion and come to the consensus that we're no good to God if we're all dead, so let's just do this because obviously God wants to use us some more, and we need to stay alive to do that, so let's just, just go play along with it. That's not what they said. They would, truth is, they would rather die. They would rather die than compromise their integrity. An opportunity is not an opportunity if you have to compromise your integrity. An opportunity is not an opportunity if you have to compromise your integrity. We live in a time when people, for the most part, really can't even discern between what is right and what is wrong. And it's not just in the world that's lost and sinful. It's, 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 it's in groups of followers of Jesus, not being able to discern what is right and what's wrong. Maybe we can discern, but sometimes we just don't want to do it. I, I don't know. But we live in a world that celebrates talent more than integrity. All you have to do is look at the music scene and the sports world and, and, and we, we, we admire and, and we celebrate the, the talent of athletes and the talent of musicians and we, tell, we celebrate that more than integrity because a lot of people who have those talents 
sadly don't have integrity. But we excuse that because of their talents. We live in a, in a world that celebrates popularity and the number of followers that somebody has. Well, you know, it doesn't matter that they don't have integrity. They have, you know, a million followers. We live in a world that celebrates intelligence more than integrity. We live in a world that celebrates appearances and beauty, attractiveness more than integrity. Folks, our world needs the salt and light of the followers of Jesus to impact the decay and the darkness of our culture. Now, there's a twofold problem with that. On one side, you have many who claim to be followers of Jesus who draw too much negative attention to themselves and they're more known for what they are against than they are known for what they're for. So everybody knows what they're against, but nobody knows what they're for. And then opposite to that, there are many, they're just too afraid to take a stand. They just want to fly under the radar. They want to go on notice. They just want to avoid confrontation. You know, uh, confrontation. They just, they don't want to draw attention. Just, just keep it simple. I would suggest this morning that what our world needs is followers of Jesus who live lives of grace and love, yet are unwilling to compromise the principles and values of the kingdom of God at any cost. At any cost. Thirdly, confidence. The Hebrew young men had integrity. And their integrity was rooted firmly in their relationship with God. They believed to their core that God could be trusted in the most difficult, painful, unimaginable situations. They emphatically stated what they did because they emphatically believed that God would deliver them. They believed it. They were confident to the point that even if he didn't deliver them as they hoped he would, because all of us create versions of how we hope God will do what we think God promised to do, even if he doesn't fulfill this in the version that I have imagined, they said it's still okay. We're still going to be okay in the end. It was their confidence in God that made it easier to resist compromise and to make room for the miracle to take place. When we compromise our integrity, we don't leave room for divine intervention. When we compromise our integrity, we don't leave room for divine intervention. We panic. We're overwhelmed, we're concerned, we're afraid, and we take matters into our own hands and we, we try to fix it. And when we do that, we usually make a bigger mess than there was already. In our attempts to make it better, we often make it worse. And when we compromise our integrity, when we, when we don't hold up our values, when we won't stay true to the principles of the kingdom of God, then we're pushing God out of our scenario, and we're not making room for divine intervention. 
It's only when we have integrity to stand in the principles and the values of the kingdom of God with confidence in him that do we allow the room. Integrity creates an environment for miracles. Integrity allows God to work. Integrity is the platform that God works through. And we need integrity that is rooted in our relationship with God, that we trust him. We trust him with confidence. Trust him. Fourthly, through, not from. There is a theology that tells us that God wants to keep us from hardship and bless us materially. And much of this theology is heresy, misinterpretation of scripture, and a misunderstanding of God. Sorry, I had to beat around the bush on that. Much of this theology comes to us and shapes the way we think and approach situations. When we survey scripture in its wholeness, when we focus on our own journeys of our lives as God has led us, we see in both that God's approach is often through the difficulties, not from the difficulties. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't sometimes deliver us from. Sometimes he does. He certainly does. But the truth is, and you've heard me say this before, some mountains are meant to move and some mountains are meant to be climbed. Not all mountains are moving mountains. Some of them have to be climbed. And like the Hebrew young men, sometimes, hear me, sometimes we had to be thrown into the fire to be delivered from it. You can't be delivered from something that you're not experiencing. And sometimes you have to go right in the middle of the heat of it to be delivered. Integrity won't keep us from the fire, but it will keep us from being burned. It won't keep us from the fire, but we'll survive it because of God's faithfulness. God will be with us in the midst of the firestorm when we stand for what is right. When we stand with integrity, God is with us. He's right there with us. He'll never leave us. He walks with us. He stands beside us. He fights for us. He puts his protection over us. He's the God who stays. He's the God who stays. You know, we live in a time when we can't say that about a lot of people, that they stayed. Because there's a lot of dads who don't stay, a lot of moms who don't stay, a lot of friends who don't stay, a lot of people in our lives, they don't stay. They just move on when it gets tough. But he's the God who stays. Through the most horrific and painful and disillusioning moments and seasons of our lives, he stays. Integrity doesn't keep us from the fire, but it does keep us from being destroyed, from being burned. Sometimes he delivers us from, but quite often he delivers us through. 
I'm going to invite our worship team back as we wrap up this morning. Oh, sorry, I got one more point. That's okay, you can come back. It's not long. Oh, look, another five pages. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> yeah. Legacy. Can't miss this one. Thank you. The demonstration of a life of integrity and commitment to the principles and values of the kingdom of God will define our legacy. Integrity takes a lifetime to build, but only moments to destroy. We see this around us every day. And it is so sad to see people that we have believed in, trusted, lose all credibility in one moment. See, talent depreciates. Intelligence depreciates. Appearances depreciate. Success depreciates. Finances depreciate. But integrity never depreciates. Integrity sets an example for the next generation to follow. Integrity provides opportunities to witness miracles. And so what will our legacy be? What are we going to be remembered for? When a life moment called us to take a stand for our principles and our values, to either compromise our integrity or stand for the values and principles of the kingdom of God, what did we do in those moments? I pray that we'll be people of integrity who always stand for the values and the principles of God's kingdom. And when we fail because I know we all will in some moments. I pray that we'll have the integrity to own our wrong, seek the forgiveness of God and others, and be restored in our relationships. How we respond to pressure to conform, even our failures, how we respond to our failures, determines our legacy. And integrity is an incredible shaper of legacy. So in conclusion, and this time I mean it, God is calling us to be people of integrity that stand for godly principles and values when the world around us calls us to compromise. Are we willing to give God the best of who we are and see him take us beyond who we never dreamed we could be on our own? Are we willing to surrender everything to him even when we're pressured to compromise? Are we willing to trust God and by trusting him give opportunity for him to work a miracle in our lives? Are we willing to trust God to bring us through the adversity, not just rescue us from it? And what legacy are we building? What will we leave behind? Will we be known as a person of integrity? I'm sure we'll be known for a number of things in our lifetime, some good, some bad. But I pray that after all is said and done, that we're all remembered as people of integrity. People who were not willing to compromise in the midst of adversity. Adversity does not create integrity. It reveals it.